it is an art. It's an amazing art, but it's a craft, and you've got to get up. It doesn't matter how the day is. You get up, you put on your hard hat, and you get it done. <laughs> put on the hard hat and get it done. That was Anthony Sinclair, fantasy author on the podcast this week. Very exciting show. He's got a lot of great takeaways for you. My name is Wyatt Christman. I'll be your host. We're here on the Creative Habits exploring creative habits. Is it the aha moment or is it the habit? Enjoy the show. Good day. My name is Anthony St. Clair. I'm a travel fantasy author based in Eugene, Oregon, and really thrilled to be on the podcast with Wyatt today, talking with you and just you know, sharing some about the craft and some of you know the worlds I make up in my head every day. And worlds you do. You craft uh, quite a few. You've got a recent book, uh, Home Sweet Road, that just came That's out. That's right. right. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, Home Sweet Road came out just a little earlier this month uh, in trade paperback, and currently ebook is just for Kindle. Uh, come May, I'm going to roll it out to all the other ebook stores and formats. But Home Sweet Road is essentially an improved version of a short story I'd written a couple of years back. I was never happy with a short story. Uh, there was a character in it who she was the heroine of the story, but I didn't feel like she was coming through enough. So a few months back, I took that story and just scrapped it, started over, and realized, you know what? This story is about this ordinary woman who is trying to hide some extraordinary secrets from two guys who are not what they seem to be, but it turns out that neither is she. So once I figured that out, I was able to craft this into just a much more cohesive book that at its core is about trust. It's about learning to trust the right people and what to do when you make a mistake and trust the wrong people, and how you come back from that. Huh. Now, how did you figure that, because uh, you, you shelved it for a little bit, it sounds like, right? How, I did indeed. Yeah, yeah, and how did you come back at it from that angle that made it successful? What, um, what kind of uh, made that happen for you? What, you know, part of what I realized went wrong with a short story is a matter of process. Like, you know, you probably heard the thing where there are pantsers and planners when it comes to writers. You know, oh, I write by the seat of my pants. I don't plan. I just go. I can't do that. I've tried, and I'm sure it sounds all nifty to be like, yeah, man, I just like sat down with like three pots of coffee and a long weekend, and I wrote a book. <laughs> you know, more power to people who can do that. Props. I can't do it. I just hit a wall and the story doesn't get done or it sucks or something. So part of what I kind of retooled was just how I approach story. And I've been working on that for a while. So when I came back to Home Sweet Road, I had a much better process that worked for me. I mean, like, you know, and I know and everyone out there knows, you know, when it comes to writing, you figure out what works for you. And all the books and lectures or anything else, I mean, they're good tools, but they don't matter unless you know what works for you and what doesn't. So what worked for me, I took that story and said, okay, what do I think is happening here? Not so much the plot. I mean, the action is just kind of the skin of the story, really. What's really happening in the story is it's the emotion underneath. And for me, at least, there is there is a certain central point, like... My process now is I will take a story and get it to where 
I can boil it down into one word. And like I said, for Home Sweet Road, that word is trust. So once I get it down to that, I say, okay, well, let's build it out a little more. Can I take that word and expand it into a sentence? Yeah. As falls Ireland, so falls the world. And then I keep building it out until I have mapped out essentially this big outline for the story in terms of the action, in terms of the emotion, and in terms of the, the, the point, the why of that scene. It's like, why does this scene need to be here? Why does this story need to exist? When I can answer those questions, then I can write effectively. Nice. I love it. So you boil it. It really is a clear process or you become clear about exactly what you're writing down to one word. And that is that's yeah. impressive. That is really impressive because I have to say, getting something down to one word, what, what you know, how do you write? That, that seems like quite an endeavor. It is. I mean, it took me, it probably took as long to outline the story as it did to draft it. But the fact of the matter is when I didn't have that process, you know, as the old saying goes, done is better than perfect. And I just wasn't getting stuff done. But now I can put in that time to plan and think through and feel through the story and the characters. And when I sit down to write for the day, it's like, okay, I'm working on, you know, act two, scene two, you know, click. Uh, but I go. I look through my outline and I know what I need to do. I know what needs to happen. So I can draft out that scene really fast in part because I've done so much advanced planning. Like it's funny, my, my father-in-law is a master electrician. So this guy, he's in Colorado. He goes out on like 40 below weather and build and, you know, and essentially is the mastermind of these incredible high voltage plants and complexes and whatnot. So he and I were talking one day and he's like, now how do you work? It's like you sit down and get the muse. And I was like, actually my job is actually a lot more like yours. And I think I even realized, you know, I get up and I go to work. Now I, I plan as much as I can ahead. Just like you plan out a project and you got your team, your blueprints and all that and your specs. And then you get on the job site and you deal with what's there. And really, I've come to the conclusion that for me, writing actually has a lot more in common with that sort of project than I think we often give it credit for. It is an art. It's an amazing art. But it's a craft. And you've got to get up. It doesn't matter how the day is. You get up. You put on your hard hat. And you get it done. <laughs> put on the hard hat and get it done. Love it. So... Yeah, it is. It's the, it's the creative habit. It's the structure that allows you to just fill in with the freedom of your thoughts. Precisely. But, you know, the, the, the flip side of that, too, is I know that one thing that kind of scared me off this planning for a while, and I'm sure it happens with other writers, too, is you get that sense that if you plan and you outline and you think through, you know, you kill the muse or you're just locked into this rigid outline. Well, no, you're not. You know, you're the author of the story. Now, I, I plan with I plan basically so I can be flexible. Like I plan with flexibility in mind and that good plan then helps me stay flexible. So it's like if I'm going along in the actual story, just like when my father-in-law is on a job, if they come up to something like, wait a minute, that's not what we had specced out or that's not what we had planned. Well, that's what you got to deal with because that's the actual wire in the wall. And for me, once I get to the actual word on the page, it's like, oh, you know, that sounded a lot better on paper in my head than when I'm actually getting to it in the scene. Well, change direction. 
it's your story. You know, you get to something that didn't seem like it was going to work. Well, roll with it another way and see where it takes you. Pivot. Exactly. Nice. And so I would imagine, because there is that threat of structure versus play. There's that threat of freedom versus, you know, constriction to keep things organized. And they do kind of key into a different part of the brain. So do you, uh, do you find it easier to, um, like, let's say, use morning time for writing and nighttime for planning? Or do you, how, how does that work for you? It's usually pretty distinct blocks for me. Like when I have a particular project that I'm working on, like a book or even something as, as smaller like an article, um, I typically have some stages to the process. You know, like my writing for that day is I'm going to plan out, you know, this much of the story. I'm going to plan out this article. And that can be some pretty intensive note-taking for me. And then, the, you know, be that the next day or whenever – you know, then it's like, okay, I've got my plan. Now I sit down and I start the writing. So there's actually a fair bit of creativity that also goes into the planning because I'm thinking through, say, the action of a scene or it's like, oh, well, this happened between, you know, my hero and my heroine or this character and the heroine. How do they both react to that? How do they feel? So you still have to have the creativity to get down in the mind and soul of the character or, you know, be able to, you know, stare at the wall of your office, but in my case, be looking at Western Ireland, but I'm, say, working on Home Sweet Road, and imagine what that scenery looks like. And so that all meshes in with the planning. And then when I come down to do actually drafting a scene, you know, I have kind of that left brain, here's the outline, whatnot, but it helps turn my right brain on high gear so I can really get into the writing, get into the story. Nice. So... You just finished this book, and do you do you like juggle another project at the same time, or do you give yourself a break? Like you've you've had a like had a child, you know. It's like do you, do you take some downtime and like oh, whew, done, and and then, or do you like keep just keep flowing? It's a little of both. I do try to give myself a little downtime. Like usually, you know, my wife. We have a two-year-old. It's like we usually do a little something to celebrate, like a special lunch or a special dinner or something to market and. You know, maybe I'll give myself a morning or afternoon off or something. But at this point, especially since I'm trying to get more stuff out there, it is pretty much a, hey, I did it. The work is done. Long live the work and get going <laughs> another. Like in the midst of doing Home Sweet Road. So Home Sweet Road and its predecessor, The Martini of Destiny, they're both titles in the same Rucksack Universe series. And then there's a novel length work called Forever the Road that is in essentially like my last revision before I hand it off to my copy editor and my cover designer. So Home Sweet Road has been much more like, hey, cool, this is nifty. Hey, the designer did great on the cover. KDP, go. Yeah, sure, we'll do KDP select this time and try out that exclusivity thing for 90 days. And uh, create space, okay, rock on, upload, proof looks good, roll. Okay, I got some serious revision to do on this novel. <laughs> so it's much more go from A, go to B, and just... Hardly a breather. Huh. So what, what keeps you actively motivated to produce? Well, gosh, let's see. That, that is one of those questions that is both so simple and so complex, as you know. I guess the really simple answer is that in 2011, I left a full-time job I'd had for like seven years. I was a website editor at a company managing like tens of thousands of pages of content. And I left that 
to be a full-time author and copywriter? So the simple answer is that I am finally doing the work that I believe I'm in this life to do. And that is immensely gratifying and motivating. But the sheer fact of it is I love being alive. We live in this world that is both broken and beautiful and brutal and yet so incredibly kind all in each one in the most unexpected ways often and i've had the good fortune to see some of it i've been to ireland i've been to india where forever the road is set i've been to hong kong where the martini of destiny is set and those those travels really shaped my life in ways i probably don't even realize now and even when I'm at home, like even when my passport is just sitting in a drawer, you know, those travels still shape me. And part of that writing process, too, like the reason I am so intent on getting something down to one word to describe like a 400-page book is that's what I tie my motivation to. Everything in that book is, is going, does it support this word? Does it support this purpose, this intent? Hmm. And... That keeps me motivated to do the next word and the next word and the next page and the next scene and the next book. That one word. Yeah. It still comes back to that, that one word, being able to boil. boil that. So it's, it's your life. It's the life experience. It's the juice that you've got from that that propels you forward. And you want to put that in your writing. I do. Yeah. Very much so. Like, you know... I guess where I come at it, like I come from this background of travel. Like I grew up in Virginia and moved to Oregon. You know, I've seen lots of countries. I had the good fortune to live in a couple. And one thing I've learned from travel and through working and also work, like working some in travel is seeing like how many people get so caught in what they do or do not want to do in life or having that sense of, oh, man, I wish I could do that, but, you know, I can't. And, and you know, we, we've heard it as authors. You know, everyone's got a book in them. And it's such a, a sad percentage of us who actually get that book down. Not necessarily, you know, get it published or hit the bestseller list or whatever, but just write it, even if it's just for their own gratification of doing it. I saw the same thing in travel. You know, oh, I'd love to travel abroad, but, 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 but. So... Part of the other purpose that I see in my stories, yeah, I, I want to write stuff that's a really cool time. You know, just like watching Doctor Who is like a really fun show and I absolutely geek out of it and could watch every episode about a million times. But there's still something to it that is deeper than just, you know, a madman with a box or in my case, you know, a guy with a backpack globetrotting everywhere. It's... I want my stories to inspire people to live the world in whatever way that means to them. I don't care if it's travel. I don't care if it's they write their own book. I don't care if it's they become an executive chef. I mean, whatever. Whatever gets them to the love and the strength and the sheer grit that it takes to do what they feel like they are burning to do and haven't done yet, at the heart of it, that's really... You know, I want my stories to entertain, but I also want them to help people find that same kind of courage in themselves. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite a – I mean because it, it, it's something to be able to write a story because you, – you, well, you have two, two books out, right? You, you yeah. Have, okay. 
So third on the way third, third on the way, right. So how many books did you write before those two came to fruition? Oh, man. Let's see. Probably, I want to say about three. Really? Um, at least two of them were NaNoWriMo projects from just here and there throughout oh, the past cool. year. Yeah. And actually, Forever the Road has gone through... Like, that story in one form or another has actually been in my head since 2003, so over 10 years. Like, uh, I was in between trips to Asia at the time. Like, I'd spent a couple months in, like, India and Thailand and Cambodia, and I'd come back to the States for a little while to basically work and earn some more money. And I was about to go to um, China and Tibet and Nepal. So I was working this temp job that actually wound up becoming the job I held for seven years, and here in Eugene, as you probably remember from going to school here, we have incredible bike paths. Now, this oh, is one yeah. of the most bike-friendly cities in the country. And where I lived at the time was predominantly this really easy bike ride along the Willamette River. So my morning commute is like watching geese. You know, my idea of a traffic jam was, you know, geese wandering across the path. And I'm driving down this thing or riding down this thing one day, and I get the idea for this book, and I just had to stop. And over the next, like, ten years, I've probably drafted out Forever the Road, like, three, four times. It's gone through, I think, three titles, all of which sucked until this one. Um, so, and a couple of those were also under Nano. Like, a part of what also kicked me into leaving my job and putting out my shingle was, you know, my wife and I had, had many discussions about, you know, leaving my job or changing things up and, you know, I had spent years thinking that, well, you know, I've got the good full-time job, I've got the bills paid, you know, maybe I can ride on the side, but I never did. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those cases where I pretty much had to throw myself into it to do it. <laughs> and Forever the Road was actually part of the crux. She's like, you know what, you're going to do nano again. You're going to, I don't care how the other drafts you've done, scrap them, whatever, come at it fresh. And doing that really gave me the drive to say, okay, you know what? This, this still needs a lot of work and still needs work. That's why it's about to go to the editor. But it is that one story over 10 years has taken me so far already. Like it's actually, it's a little hard to believe that I'm actually starting to plan the next two books in the series because this one has been so much the rock of my creative world for so long. And now it's you know, almost ready to go. <laughs> wow. Wow. That. With that behind it, I mean, it must be a real sense of relief, almost loss at the same time. Which Pretty much, yeah. Why? It's probably a scale version of what you and I will feel when our respective kids grow up and head out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and there is some motivation then for the series because you, it's still being able to um, play with those ideas, those same ideas. Do you think that, I, I mean, obviously the next books will be a little bit shorter what types of things have you learned that you'll be able to take to the next book and use wow let's see there there are some things i've learned in part as i've kind of worked on the overarching sense of the series so the rucksack universe you know it's not a series in the sense of harry potter you know one two three four five six seven um, I'm a huge fan of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels, you know, the British author. Uh-huh. And, like, I'm actually uh, reading The Fifth Elephant again right now for, like, the second or third time. I, I just eat Pratchett's books. 
So one of the things I've learned as I develop the series that will play out into the next stories is the sense of a world that is very encompassing, but like there are 40-some books in this world. There's no beginning or end of the series. You can pick up any of those stories and be immersed in it. So one of the biggest things I've learned that I'm carrying through, and like Martini of Destiny had some hints of it, Homes We Wrote, I feel, does a better job. Forever the Road, I feel, does an even better job. And the next ones, I can't wait because they're, they're so fresh and not building on something prior. They're so fresh, they'll be more reflective of, I think, how far I've come as an author. But building in that expansive sense of world is one of the things I'm most excited about for the next stories. Like, there's a, a, a close friend of mine who's also one of my beta readers. And my beta readers are also, like, people who I think would, they're not only friends who I can trust to give me an honest opinion, but they're also people who I think would be interested in the story. So there's, you know, target audience, demographic sort of thing. But I asked her after she read Home Sweet Road, you know, I was like, if you were giving this book to your best friend, what would you tell them to encompass why they should read it? And she thought about it for a while, and she said, it's the world. This world is so fascinating, and it's similar to ours, but... You pepper in all these things that are different, and I, I, I can't wait to find out where this is going and what these things are. Uh, the world. So how do you is, – is there something within what you do uh, structurally or, uh, or playfully that allows you to tap into that world like uh, efficiently? And, and, well, efficiently. I, I don't know how else to say it, but yeah. plug in, you know. Totally. Um, the short answer to that is RUX, R-U-C-S, which is short for Rucksack Universe Core Story. That's my very dorky term for the, I think it's about 400-some page document that is just essentially all the backstory. It's like if you've heard J.K. Rowling talk about like all the things she did when developing Harry Potter, that you know, most of which never, ever wound up directly in a final page that we read as readers, but they shaped the world. And I took a similar approach for this story document I use. So uh, one of the things I do say when I'm between a book or, or something is I'll often take some time and say, okay, for the next two weeks, you know, my daily writing is going to be pick an element of the rucksack universe and write a thousand words on it. Just go. So this document is all that sort of material that I can draw on. I already have more material than I could possibly write stories about in one lifetime, which is really, really fun. (laughs) But that helps me plug in and develop the world. Like one of the things that came out of that process actually is just riffing on a character or a setting or something was one of my core characters. His name is Fatter Rucksack. We meet him first in Martini of Destiny. He somewhat cameos in Home Sweet Road. And then he's a very key character in Forever the Road. Um, But there's this thing called the blast that I use as essentially the demarcation point for when our world and the world of the Rucksack universe split. And we come to know that there's something about him and his past that is tied to this. And I have a pretty solid idea of what's going on because, you know, I'm the author and we get to be jerks like that. But Everything that I do in the story at this point in one way or another is also echoing back to those things, and I can build on them or hint or whatnot, and it makes the stories richer and deeper. That really makes a lot of sense, and I love that. That's, that's fantastic to riff <laughs> upon a character, to riff upon a scene, 
and really just delve into it. Even if you never use it directly, it feeds subconsciously what you're going to do next. Exactly. I love it. it. Well, and it's fun too to be able to take some of that stuff. Like there are things in Martini of Destiny that you know beta readers would be like, I don't know about this. I'm like, well, I do, and it's because three or four books down the road, someone's going to come back to the Martini of Destiny and go, you. At sign, exclamation point, dollar sign, <laughs> carrot, long dash. You know? Right, <laughs> This right. was already there. <laughs> right. So if, if you were just to, to, you know, give your, the, the one habit that you couldn't live without, you know, what would that habit be? Like, what would be your key creative habit that you kind of like, hmm. Have a thinking beer to stroke. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> okay, for me, it would be, I, I write like I travel. That would be mine. Um, and all the travels I've done, and in, like I did my very first solo road trip when I was like a freshman in college. And from there, it's gone out to like living in Scotland and traveling in India. And like, last year, my wife and I took our then 15-month-old son to Japan. And in all those travels... I've learned a little like the writing. I need some idea of what I want to do. You know, not, not necessarily for the whole trip, but like, okay, today I want to go to the Taj Mahal, or I want to rent a bike and see Reap and bike over to Angkor Wat in Cambodia. But having that in mind, kind of like with the writing, it's like, okay, I kind of want to get here. How I get there, what the day unfolds, you know what, dude? It's all good. Roll with it. And sometimes there are things that I've done on a trip where how I got there, totally different from how I thought I was going to get there. And sometimes something's come up where I'm like, you know what? I kind of would rather do this thing instead. And that went well. If I get to it, I do. And if I don't, I don't. So that has really informed me as a traveler, which has also informed me as a writer to kind of keep that, again, it's the plan, sure, but be flexible, be willing to change. Right. It loops back with what you said in the beginning, which was, again, it's being able to pivot when you need to. And, and then stay having, the course when you need to. Right, right. Stay the course when you need to and, and have that structure to still be able to do that. That planning to still be able to do that. Because if you planned exactly. it, then you're okay. If you haven't, you might be out there and all of a sudden you're like, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> right, yeah. There's a colleague of mine who loves to say, if you fail to plan, you, you plan to fail. Right, right, right. That's a good one. That's a good one. So you, you've heard of, of, of the hero's journey, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm just curious if there's a story you can relay or that, that kind of, um, you know, maybe a scar that, that happened or some call to the wild that brought you to a place and you brought back some sort of magic that has just wonderfully allowed you to build your existence that you have now or to create on a regular basis or to just be who you are? Oh. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, let me run out to the other room and grab my Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey real quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's, a no, um, That's a great point. I, I would say if digging back in, along the journey I've had so far, it would be when I was... Um, Let's see, I would have been about 20 years old. And this is, I was a junior in college. And I'm coming up on my senior year. I had no idea what I was going to do. 
like the first semester of my senior year, I basically had nothing I needed to do. Like the classes that were on offer, I had either already taken or they weren't relevant to my degree. So I'm vexing and vexing over what in the world I was going to do. And there was a buddy of mine who had, uh, well, about a year or so prior, something like that, had gone through a student exchange program we had with Napier University in Edinburgh, Scotland. So he'd spent like six months, basically a semester over there, and come back and you know, we would talk about that now and again. And I'm talking one day about all this, like, kvetching about figuring out my senior year. And he's like, well, dude, why don't you go to Scotland? So that was my first call to the wild, so to speak. Uh, not that Scotland is this wild place, though. You've been in a pub on a Friday night in Glasgow. That could certainly be argued that it is. Uh, but that was my first taste. You know, I had never left the country before. At the time when we talked about it, you know, I'd never been farther west than the Mississippi. You know, I grew up in Virginia and went to college in Tennessee. I'd done some road tripping around different parts of the east, but nothing like that. But when I made that decision to go, that changed my life. What now, that, accepting that, that call, that call right. to adventure, that call to the wild, completely changed the person I, I might have been. Like, if I had wanted, I could have stayed in Virginia. Um, I worked part-time uh, when I was on uh, breaks from college. I worked part-time at the local newspaper. I was what's called an editorial assistant, so, like, I answered the phone in the newsroom. I'd go out and get dinner for the night desk, stuff like that. And the people there made it very clear that if I wanted to stay, they would put me on a track to being a reporter. I could probably easily, you know, make my bones and become an editor someday. And there was definitely a part of that that was enticing. Like, I was an English major. I was a journalism minor. I had run the college paper. There was something to it. But once I did Scotland and came back, and then prior even going to Scotland, this is a totally different call to adventure, I had gotten invited to visit my best friend in Oregon that summer before I went abroad. So that first trip to Oregon, I came back and told my mom and dad I was going to move to Oregon. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I'm 20. I'm going to move across the country. Um, but going to Scotland and living there completely changed my adult life. It made me certain I was not going to stay in Virginia. It gave me, it gave me that wanderlust that you know, I now try to instill, not necessarily in the sense of, oh, sunny boy, you know, you must travel, but that sense of find what makes you so excited to get up in the morning and you bloody well roll with that for your life because your life depends on that. Your happiness depends on that. And that first call to adventure with Scotland is what brought me on the path to finding mine. Nice. Now, see, I, that, that makes a lot of sense because um, you do, you get outside of your culture, you experience and see different things. And that all makes sense, but... What's the part that made you go? Like if somebody says go to Scotland, like that's not necessarily going to make you go to Scotland. You're not the reluctant hero. What, where was, you, was there any barrier? Was there any reluctance? What really made that shift and say, you know, I'm going to go? Was it just, you know, I don't have anything else to do. But what made you really go? I mean, what made me go was, was thinking ahead. It was that sense of if I'm like 85, 90 years old and I'm on my deathbed and if I say no to doing this, will I look back and go, you, Egypt, what were you thinking? <laughs> no doubt. 
And I realized I would have. Also, you know, I was 20 years old. Like a lot of people who are 20 years old around that age frame, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are. Because odds are you don't know. It's still going to do a lot of shifting. But you have such a good opportunity at that time to really start gleaning at least the basics of who you are. And I think part of what made that call so compelling to me was growing up where I grew up in Virginia, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like some sort of you know, old family that has some intense reputation or wealth or something, but you know, my, my name is decently known around where I grew up. And I did have a sense that being where I was was a little stifling in terms of figuring out my identity because my identity was so tied to my family. And I love them very much. But by going to Scotland, I went somewhere where none of that applied, where who I met and what I did was dependent solely on me and what I chose and what destiny or the goddess or chance or whatever just threw my way. And that's what made that so compelling was being somewhere I did not know that was different from where I'd grown up and what I had known all my life and where nobody knew my name. That, that's what did it. Hmm. Nice. I like the, you know, forward thinking to if you would regret the decision, which is really an important way to look at it, your long-term thinking. But for someone that was 20-something, 20, 20 uh, to have that, where did that come from? Like, how did you get to think that way? Because not a lot of 20-year-olds necessarily get that. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, there are people who who will. I mean, I'm not saying, you know. Uh, you know, I wish I had a better answer than that. Maybe my mom could give you a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I always had a sense that I grew up in a place where I didn't really fit in. And I was an avid reader as a kid. You know, I loved National Geographic. I loved maps. I loved that sense of existing in this, in this finite yet boundless world where there were so many different places and so many different people and so many different opportunities for so many different kinds of lives. So for whatever was hardwired in me or came from being such a bookworm, that I don't know. But whatever weird alchemy that was, I, I, I facetiously talk about my mom probably being a better source for this, but she would probably just be like, Anthony just always wanted to be somewhere else. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you, you know, that, that whole experience because you've produced such, I mean, I mean, the result has been amazing because you went on to, and you're, for what you're doing right now and, and the books you've written. And um, so it, from all the creative habits and the techniques you talked about, is there something you'd like to share that, that maybe we haven't already about creative habits? Like, yeah. You know, I, I am a firm believer in that, you know, when it comes to being and staying creative, for me at least, I find habit is just as important as inspiration. The, the stories that I write, the stories that I will write, they are inspired, you know, but it matters far more to me that I get up and my, get down to my desk five to six days a week and I find something to work on, or I've got something that I'm ready to go with, as opposed to waiting for the muse. 
if the muse shows up, bully on the muse. But that consistency I have found makes the muse far more likely to show up. When I have just dragged butt in the morning, you know, my kid was up because he's got molars coming in. I hardly slept. My wife hardly slept, but the alarm still went off at six. And if I'm going to get in some writing before they get up, I better get to it. Just sitting down and getting my coffee, thank goodness, and figuring out how I'm starting the morning or having that already in front of me and going with it and doing it every day, that, that makes it much easier to stay creative. Get your heart hat on and get it done, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, get it done. Get it done. Yeah. Nice, nice, sweet. Well, I appreciate it. I, you know, I'm inspired by everything. I can't wait to do the show notes and listen to it again to really get down a lot of these takeaways because you, especially, you've got some great techniques in there, and I really like the riffing part. And um, so I appreciate you just you know, taking time and sharing all that with us. So, Oh, my pleasure, man. You know, at the, at the end of the day, yeah, we're working hard as, as authors, but this is still play. You know, this is you know, a bunch of folks getting together and, you know, busting out the instruments and jamming. This is just having some friends over the bottle of wine and swapping stories and whatnot. You know, this is such a cool combination of play and work and craft and when you understand however those elements balance out for you, it's all that matters. You know, like the famous martial artist and actor Bruce Lee, you know, he's like, he said, take what is useful and go from there. And that's pretty much what I try to do. Everything that I'm talking about, I didn't come up with it all on my own. You know, I've had the good fortune of just reading and learning and listening and being like, you know what, I'm going to try that out. Oh, that didn't work for me. Eh, leave it. Oh, this works for, for me. It's part of my personal gospel. And... That's all this is. You find it, you see what resonates with you, what makes you excited, and go. And go. Yeah, I love that. It's it's the whole idea. You know, there is no real system to just plug in and go. There's really not. There's only what works for you. It's And you try stuff on. You try on different you habits. Do. And, yeah. and you go for it. Yeah. And then that stuff evolves, too. Like, what works for you when you're first starting out may not work for you once you've gotten a book or two under your belt. And you revisit because you're learning. You never stop learning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's why I did, and I know this is a plug, but but it's why I did uh, the, the recent uh, 21 uh, Days of Creative Habits. So mm. if you if you feel stuck, sign up for the newsletter, and you get these 21 days. It's um, you know email each day for 21 days. Take five minutes. That's all it takes. Five or ten minutes with the task. You do it right then, and it's great. The inspiration you get. You try on the habit. If it works, you go for it. If it doesn't, you don't use it. But if it does work, then, you know, kind of weave it into what you already do. So Precisely. Yeah. And that is such a cool way to approach it, too. It's like, hey, have a taste. Try right. it out. Right. Have a yeah. taste. Nice. Well, um, thanks, Anthony. And uh, I'll, I'm, I'm looking forward to going through this again and doing the show notes. And uh, I'll be catching up on your book. And thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been really cool talking with you. That concludes our podcast here with Creative Habits. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We've got another exciting show next week when we get a chance to talk to a blind copywriter who's got an exciting launch coming up. Stay tuned. <laughs>